0: Welcome to the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from tolovehonorandvacuum.com, and I am thrilled that you are joining me, not just on the blog, but on the podcast too. As we start this Christmas podcast, where I want to talk about how to get along with family members at Christmas, I just have a few things to say first. If you think I sound funny, it's because I do. I'm getting over this really wicked cold. I've had it for about seven days, and today is the first day. I'm actually feeling perfectly fine, but my voice is still kind of weird. So if I'm sounding really low pitched, that's why. Uh, And and I'm going to have Rebecca and Connor do the last segment in this podcast because I just don't know how long I'm going to last. I also want to do a quick shout out to a wonderful five-star review that came in this week after our podcast last week, which was quite a big one. I was talking about how it's not appropriate to tell women that the reason that your husband is watching porn is because you're not having sex. And I deconstructed that whole argument and showed the effects on a marriage when a husband does have a porn habit. And a woman uh, wrote in saying, Sheila, where have you been for the last 15 years? You have just described my marriage to a T. And I finally understand what's going on. So I am so glad that that I got things right and that you can relate to me. Uh, and I appreciate so much all the five-star reviews and uh, the recommendations so if you want to just give this podcast a thumbs up and rate it and review it on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to it that would be so helpful because it helps other people see the podcast as well. So here's my question for you today. How do you handle Christmas when you've got toxic family members and I want to look at this from all kinds of different angles and just help us get through the Christmas season when family can be kind of rough. As we talk about that though, I think it's really important to first define what do I mean by toxic? That word gets thrown around a lot. Um, It's kind of a buzzword today, and it's easy to just use the word toxic for things that we don't like. So what does toxic actually mean? When I use the word toxic, what I'm talking about is someone who belittles, insults, or bullies others in order to make themselves feel superior. Uh, So they're doing this to, they're trying to make you feel inferior so they can feel better about themselves. It actually often comes from a deep sense of insecurity, but it doesn't come off that way. It comes off as a bully and that is toxic. Another way is people who attempt to control and manipulate you or basically anyone who violates your boundaries in some way. And what do I mean by boundaries? Well, as I shared recently on a post about how it is not your job to make someone else happy, we all have the right to our own feelings and we all have the right to own our choices. Henry Cloud and John Townsend in their book Boundaries, which is an excellent book, by the way, we're talking about it as if, okay, we all have our own yards or fields and all of these yards or fields should have fences around them. And And inside the yard or field are the things that are your responsibility. These are the things that you own. So your own attitudes, your own choices, your own actions, those are yours. But if somebody tries to jump over the fence and tries to change what you do, then they're violating your boundaries. And likewise, if you feel like you are responsible for someone else's happiness, then that's living a boundaryless existence and that's not a safe thing to do. We all have the right to our own choices and our own feelings. Okay, when other people don't respect that, they're violating you. Now, they also have the right to their own choices and feelings, too. And so if you get together with someone who is a bully, They do have the right to say, I don't want that bully at my Christmas dinner. So they have the right to their own feelings and attitudes as well. But we don't have the right to try to control or manipulate someone. And so that's what I want to talk about in this podcast today. But notice what I'm not saying. Toxic does not mean someone who does things that I don't like. Okay, just because you don't like someone else's choices, if someone else drinks at the Christmas table, um, if someone else swears a lot, they're not being toxic. Okay, they're just doing things you don't like or don't approve of. If someone else brings a significant other to Christmas dinner, and maybe they're living with that person, or they're involved in some sort of a sexual relationship that you don't approve of, they're not doing that at you. They're just doing that So they are not being toxic. And in fact, by saying that you don't want them at the Christmas dinner because of how they're behaving, you're actually the one being toxic because you are manipulating them. Okay? So we need to be careful. And I'm going to let Beck and Connor handle that in the reader question portion of this podcast. But let's talk about what to do when family honestly is toxic. I received this reader question a while ago, and it was actually part of a post that I wrote a few Christmases ago, but it's an important post. And so I just want to talk about it again today, because I think a lot of us can relate to this. So a woman writes, since I was 18 years old, I've been setting boundaries with my own mother, I was the baby of four, unexpected, and after my father abandoned the family, I became the surrogate spouse. Just as an aside, this is such a dangerous emotional bond to put on a child, and and this really goes along with my Soul Ties series that I did last month about how we should not be relying on our kids for our emotional needs. And so I'm going to put a link in the podcast description for that post too, because some of you may be in that kind of awkward thing with your own parents where you become a surrogate spouse, and you certainly don't want to set that up with your kids. So I will put a link to that post in the podcast um, post that goes along with this podcast. Okay, so she goes on. I am several years into my second marriage. He is wonderful to me and loves my children as his own. Shortly after I began dating my husband, my mother became paranoid. She would warn me saying he was not a good man. And when that didn't work, she accused him of being rude and hating her. She wouldn't even be around him. I discussed this with my siblings who all agree that my mother was wrong. I prayed and I know that God put my husband and I together. My mother didn't come to the wedding and still refuses to acknowledge him. I continued to try to reason with her and asked for counseling. My pastor agrees that I need to be setting boundaries with my mom. My mother lives within 30 minutes of me, yet I haven't been to see her in over a year. And this has been going on for four years. My family still gathers in my mother's home for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Every holiday season, I fight depression and despair from missing them, but not just because of my mother. My siblings have not stood in the gap for me. I swing back and forth from sadness to anger. Am I expecting too much for my family to stand for what is right? I have friends that tell me I should go see her. They tell me I should not be consumed with what is right and that I will regret my decision if she passes without reconciling. I continue to pray and ask God what I should do. My husband has given me the go-ahead if I want to go see my mother and family. And I but I've closed my eyes and imagined the scenario. I know I would not be able to contain myself. I would probably cause a scene much like what Jesus did in the temple tables with turkey and dressing turned over and cranberry sauce strewn everywhere and me crying in a fit of fury. I do not understand why or what justification my mother and siblings have for being unwelcoming of my husband. So here I am asking myself, is it worth it? Isn't that sad? Okay, I, I want to bring out a couple of things in this letter. Um, and, and especially, I want to try to talk through what it means to draw boundaries with toxic family members and why family can act this way. Because, you know, she's sitting here thinking, why are my siblings abandoning me like this when they agreed that I'm the one in the right? So I, I want to deal with both of those issues. Before I do that, though, I do want to give a caveat. You know, sometimes when family doesn't want us to marry someone, they're right. Right. Sometimes family members see stuff that we don't see and it's very easy to feel like your family is all ganging up on you and they don't understand and they're being toxic when really they're just really concerned that you're in an abusive situation. And I've seen a lot of parents just heartbroken because their daughter is involved with someone who's very controlling and they can't get her to see that. So If your family is all telling you with one voice that you shouldn't be marrying someone, don't chalk it up automatically to your family being toxic or crazy. Really listen to them because if they love you and they have their best interests at heart, this could be real. However, I don't think that's what's going on here. Because if a spouse is controlling, um, and if a spouse is dangerous to you, it's usually the spouse that is trying to cut you off from your family, not your family that is cutting you off. The fact that her mom is cutting her off because she's not being loyal shows me that she's actually the toxic one in this story. I just don't want y'all to think that I'm saying you can ignore it when your family all doesn't like the person that you're dating because sometimes family has a point. Okay, but let's go on with this woman's scenario. Sometimes our families genuinely are just plain crazy. Like some families just are crazy. They're totally dysfunctional. And we need to mourn that. You know, she's really sad right now. And she's, she can't figure out why people are doing this when there's no reason for it. You know, we could be having this relationship and yet you're holding on to this for no good reason. Like, and we, we, tie, we tie ourselves up in knots trying to figure out what could that reason possibly be. But we aren't able to figure it out because we're looking at it from a healthy standpoint. But when a family is unhealthy, they're not seeing things the same way you do. And so here's what I want you to understand. In dysfunctional families, loyalty matters more than truth. And I'm going to repeat that because that's really important. In dysfunctional families, loyalty matters more than truth. In families where parents are parenting out of shame rather than out of sacrificial love, the worst thing that you can do is to voice the fact that the family isn't perfect or that mom or dad are doing things wrong. Um, or in in this Person's case, her siblings, in shame-based families, everybody believing that everybody else is perfect is the only option, and you're not allowed to voice anything else. See, in healthy families, people admit their mistakes and openly talk about their failings. I shared in one of my emails that went out um, to my readers a Friday a couple of weeks back, and if you're not signed up to my email list, please sign up because people get a lot of extras and a lot of goodies, and it, it's a lot of fun. But I shared a story where. I was sitting at dinner with some family members of mine, and around that family table, every night they share three things, Um, uh, how you were brave today, how you were kind today, and what's a misstep, like what's something that you did wrong. And it was the dad's turn, and he turned to his six-year-old son, and he said that his misstep was that he didn't plan his morning properly, and he didn't get things done in the morning. And that meant that he didn't play with his son after school, because he had promised to play with his son after school, but he wasn't able to do that because his planning had been so bad that things that he had to get done didn't get done until then. And so he turned to his son and he apologized. He said, I was wrong and I'm very sorry. And his son said, that's okay, daddy. And then the dad said, so how about if we play after dinner? And that's what they did. And it was just a beautiful moment. It wasn't anything super majorly profound or anything, but it was just something that they regularly do. You know, the dad did something wrong and he apologized to the kid. And that is the, is something that healthy people do. They apologize when they're wrong. In shame-based families, People do not. Everybody has to pretend that things are perfect all the time, that everything that you do is perfect. What that means is that people are not allowed to speak truth because there's always mistakes that are made by everybody in a family. If you are never allowed to acknowledge those things, if you're then that means that you're never allowed to acknowledge truth, which means that you have to live in this false idea of what our family is. And that actually teaches people not even to understand real emotions emotions because they're never allowed to speak them. Uh, At least, and that's what leads to a lot of dysfunction is when you can't name things that are real. That's something that Rebecca dealt with a lot in her book, Why I Didn't Rebel as well. Um, In families where they were allowed to talk about mistakes and where parents regularly apologized, even where kids were allowed to express doubts about their faith. Those were families where kids were more likely to stay in the faith. Because when you're allowed to talk about truth, when you're allowed to talk about real things, that's healthy and people are able to grow and understand themselves. You can't grow if you can't acknowledge truth. So truth is the number one thing that's important here. What this woman is doing though, is she's upsetting the apple cart because she's calling people to truth and they don't like it because she married someone that the mom didn't like, and then by pushing the issue about how you guys aren't treating my husband while well, she's upsetting the apple cart. Now her siblings actually agree with her. Yes, mom is totally nuts, but they're not willing to stand up for her because they're still trapped in this shame cycle. They can't go against mom because then they'll lose their mom and then they will lose everything that the family is. And so they keep trying to keep the peace and not to rock the boat. And here's what's really important, because I know a lot of people who are going through this where the the issue is really more with parents, but the siblings, even though they know the parents are crazy, the siblings are siding with the parents. Um, Or with each other, even if one sibling is crazy, but other siblings are, are siding with the crazy sibling. And you're like, what is going on here? So here's another truth I really want you to understand. Her siblings' lack of support is not a reflection on how they feel about her. It's a reflection of their own pain. So even though it it, it is very painful for her, and it does feel like rejection, please understand that the root of this is not based in how they feel about her. If your siblings have not worked through the wounds in their own childhood, they're going to have a very difficult time going against mom because as a kid, our most basic need is for our mom's love and approval. She is the primary person in our life. And early on, we can learn that she only approves of us if we don't rock the boat and if we agree that everything is perfect even when it's not. That means that we never, as a kid, truly experienced the acceptance and love that we so desperately needed because mom only accepted us if we covered up what we truly thought. So we can never truly be ourselves and still have mom love us. So that leaves us with a huge unmet emotional need. And until that need is met, we're gonna to continue to seek it. It's gonna be one of our number one emotional motivators, even if we are completely oblivious to this, like even if you could never explain this is why you're acting like this, this is why you're acting like this. See, to go against mom means giving up the possibility of ever meeting that need. Now, if somebody realizes what is happening and they turn to God to heal that hurt, then we can get out of this cycle. But if we never realize the root of our hurts or our unhealthy behaviors, then we'll always be acting as if we're that little child just wanting mommy to tell us that we're good enough just as we are. And that leaves such a huge hole in our psyche that we'll seek out that approval even in unhealthy ways. And that's why many daughters of absent or abusive fathers marry men who are also absent or abusive they're unconsciously recreating their childhood so they can fix it and it doesn't work so her siblings are likely in this cycle and no matter how much they love their sister they can't go against mom because she is the primary person whose affection they are still trying to earn so to our letter writer i would just say it's not that your siblings love your mom more than they love you. It's that in some ways, they're still likely emotionally stuck as little kids trying to earn their mom's approval. And they may very well love you more, but emotionally, they need her more. And I hope that that can make you feel sympathy for them more than rejection. Okay, but now what do you do? Do you reconcile with your mom? Well, I honestly don't know. My personal feeling in this case is that if you have drawn healthy boundaries with your mom, I think that it's okay to let that go. And I think what's bothering her right now is more the siblings than the mom. You know, Jesus called himself the way, the truth, and the life. You know, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me in John 14, 6. And the fact that Jesus calls himself truth means that he lives in truth. When we are practicing truth, we are walking in with Jesus and we are walking in Jesus when we run away from truth we're kind of cutting that area of our life apart from God and she doesn't need to cover up truth in her relationship with her mom if she chooses to see her mom anyway that's okay that that honestly is a choice that she can make but she needs to be very clear why she's doing that and she can say mom I am very disappointed in you I think that you have violated me. I think that you have rejected me and you have not honored me. But I want to come see you because you're still my mother. But I want you to know that we will never be close and we will never be able to have a real relationship until you treat me like a human being and you welcome my husband into our family. And then she's still walking in truth, but she might still see her, or she may just decide, you know, not to see her mom. And that's entirely up to her. I I don't think that there's a right answer for that. And so if your family is estranged from you this Christmas, I just want you to know that that isn't necessarily on you. And it isn't even necessarily rejection of you. It might just be that they're in such a dysfunctional family system, That they can't actually do the right thing because they're still really hurting. And I hope that that helps. But now there's another side of it. What if it's not that your family has rejected you? What if they're more than willing to see you, but you actually aren't sure that's a safe thing for you to do? Gary Thomas has written an amazing book. I I love Gary and he has a new book out called When to Walk Away, Finding Freedom from Toxic People. And I'm going to be talking about that book um, quite a bit in January uh, as we get ready for the new year and talk about how to change our lives. But I, I really wanted to mention it before Christmas because that's when we're often dealing with toxic family members. You know, this is something that, we might need freedom from this year is that you do not have to subject yourself to toxic people at Christmas. So we looked at the letter writer whose family was cutting her off, but what about if you have to cut people off? Because that's a slightly different different question. What Gary's whole book is based on is he looked, at, he looked at Jesus's life in the New Testament, and he saw how many times Jesus chose to walk away from someone Or let someone else walk away from him without giving chase. Okay, so so many times Jesus allows people to walk away or he walks away when that relationship is not a healthy one. And so, what this example means is that walking in the footsteps of Jesus will occasionally mean following him as we walk away from toxic people to find healthy ones that we can invest in. And that's what Gary wrote in a recent article, um, based on his book. And I want to pull out. I shared that article on my Facebook page, and I want to pull out a couple of things because he's talking specifically about Christmas in this article, and I thought it was great. And here's the reminder that he makes for for us. Okay and this is this is a great insight for most of us. there are a finite number of holidays when the kids are young, which makes each one of them precious and So defending your family's celebration is a wise and loving thing to do, you know. And he's writing from the perspective of someone who's recently an empty nester. I'm recently, relatively recently an empty nester as well. And you realize that when your kids grow up, how those Christmases, where it's just your nuclear family, there's a lot fewer of them than you think. When you're in the middle of them, you don't realize how we may only have like 15 years like this because teenagers start, start part-time jobs, they get significant others, and suddenly your Christmas is much different. And so it's okay to want to have your own traditions. And if your traditions are being wrecked by toxic family members, maybe it's time to corral yourselves in a little bit more and protect yourselves. So he says this, let's say that you have a toxic aunt or uncle who you know is going to be at a family gathering and who is always quick to undercut others and make inappropriate comments or opinions, and seems to relish picking a fight. He says, you don't let the fact that they're there keep you from going to the family dinner and keep your kids from seeing their grandparents or cousins. But it might mean that when that person starts to talk, you walk into the next room. Like as soon as the toxicity comes out, you don't waste your time trying to correct them. You just walk away. And I've done this at big family dinners when things have gotten just difficult. You know, I go and hang out with the nieces and nephews. And it's, it's always wonderful. It's been wonderful. And, and there always are some family members that you really can talk to. And so if someone's toxic, just walk away. You don't have to correct them. You don't have to get into a big fight with them. Just walk away and go talk to people who are healthy. But what if it's more than that? What if you have, really toxic relationships with parents who are always undercutting you, who are always criticizing your parenting, who are trying to get between you and the grandkids, um, who are always undermining you, and especially a parent who may really beat up on the daughter-in-law or son-in-law, then what do you do? Here was Gary's advice, where a mother-in-law was being really mean to her daughter-in-law. And here's the advice that he gave to the husband. Treat your mom as if she was healthy, spiritually speaking. That's the best way to honor your mom. If my son called me and said, dad, I'm sorry, but for the sake of my marriage, we can't spend Christmas with you this year. It would break my heart. But I hope that I would reply, son, you're making the right choice. Your wife comes first. In fact, I'm proud of you for making what I'm sure is a tough decision. You're a good husband. I would want to affirm him rather than make him feel guilty. And, and, and I agree with Gary here. You know, that's what a healthy person does. A healthy parent approves and supports the nuclear family and the marriage first. And so if you call your parent and say, this is too difficult for my spouse to come see you for, for Christmas, then a healthy parent would support that. If your parent doesn't support that, that is not on you. This is where that boundaries thing is coming again. If your parent does not support your feelings and actions that are within your fence, that are within your right, if they try to walk over your fence and make you feel guilty or do all of these other things, then they are violating your boundaries and that is not on you. So will you cause problems in your family? Yeah, you will. But that's okay. And sometimes you are going to cause problems. Walking away from toxic people causes problems. That's why they're toxic. (laughs) And I'm I'm going to sum this up with what Gary said. Sacrificing your spouse's or your kid's relatively few Christmases together to placate an abusive person doesn't honor God and it won't help the toxic person. So it is okay To walk away. And if other people have walked away from you, that doesn't necessarily reflect on you either. And if you're struggling with this, I highly recommend Gary Thomas's book, When to Walk Away, Finding Freedom from Toxic People. He talks about toxic people at work, your extended family, your church, and even when that toxic person is your spouse. And when it's okay to walk away. So check out the book if you're struggling with this. I think you'll find a lot of freedom in that book, When to Walk Away by Gary Thomas. And now I am going to turn the rest of the podcast over to Becca and Connor to look at the other side of it when it comes to family dinners at Christmas.
1: So now let's talk when it's not a toxic environment, but it's just plain frustrating for you or you just don't like what your family members are doing. So Connor and I are here with a reader question to answer the other side of things. Here's the question. My husband and I were raised in Christian homes and have made godliness a priority from the day we met. However, his family, all professing Christians, have gone off the deep end. Two of the brothers have scary tattoos, piercings, mohawks. They curse and tell crass jokes and wear profane demonic shirts. His older brother and his wife are churchgoers, but in recent years have begun socially drinking quite a lot and clubbing. It seems that's all they talk about now. This and that club, what kind of brand of liquor they like, etc. The big problem is that my mother-in-law who I have grown very close to over the years, won't stop any of it from happening in her home. Now she breaks out the alcohol and even tries to get us to partake in it. My father-in-law, a former deacon, just sits back and stays quiet. The part that makes it unacceptable is that we have two very smart, beautiful little boys, ages three and one, who I'm determined to bring up in a wholesome environment. My wonderful husband, thank God, fully agrees and has tried to talk to his parents to no avail. His mom just wants to keep everyone together. She is hostile to any suggestion of banning activities or upsetting anyone. We are the problem. I am heartbroken for... For my husband who is so very close with his brothers and parents but the idea of bringing our kids into that place is more and more repulsive to me as time goes by my older son is not a baby anymore he is perceptive how can I reconcile taking them to church and Christian school then turn around and trotting them into this house of horrors full of people we appear to be perfectly happy to be around Wow yes Wow <laughs> Okay, so what do you do when your family members are doing stuff you just don't agree with? We're not talking emotional abuse issues. We're not talking toxicity. We're just talking plain old life choices are different, right? Yeah. Okay, honestly, and I'm going to be really, really blunt here, get off your high horse and deal with it.
2: Yeah, other people are allowed to have different fashion.
1: Yeah, you can have family members decide to smoke or drink or swear or whatever it is, and that is their choice. Now, I do want to say it is very, very different to have someone swear around you versus having someone cuss you out. And if someone's, like, swearing at you or cussing you out, like, you can leave that situation. That is not something you need to put up with because that's just completely disrespectful. But then simply swearing around you is not the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that we need to understand that and not be quite as quick to be horrified by people just simply living slightly different lifestyles than we do.
2: Yeah, because as a lot of you may know, I was not born and raised Christian. I was born and raised atheist and I didn't become a Christian until I was 18. And a lot of the time I found it really difficult and uncomfortable to be around people who i felt were really judging me for differences in my lifestyle from what they uh from what they liked you know people who quite frankly sound like this reader you know there was a point at which i dyed my hair just for fun because i joked about it with some friends and decided i'd actually do it and when i had people judging me for that and thinking it meant a lot more than it did What that made me want to do is not really engage with them and not really involve them. That's not what you want with family.
1: Exactly. And that's not what we want as people who are supposed to show people what Christ's love is. We don't want them to come away from the situation feeling like they were heard wrong. They were misheard. Because the reality is, if someone is doing something that's honestly bad for them and they feel convicted because of what you said, that's that's very different than someone feeling like they were judged and misheard and misunderstood. Mm Mm-hmm. And that the Christian in their life looked down on them instead of seeing them as the actual human being that they were.
2: Yeah, there are plenty of things that I felt very judged for by well-meaning but very legalistic Christians that even now, as a Christian, when I look back, I don't think there was anything wrong with that. It was just a different way that I was choosing to do things at the time.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it wasn't really until you found a community of Christians who actually accepted you and who actually took the time to get to know you and became your friends that you came to Christ.
2: Yeah, because before that, I was just so disinterested in getting involved with a community that was just going to look down on me and everything that I did.
1: Exactly. And I think that's really important to understand because this... Kind of letter, when I read it, it hurts me. Because this is exactly the kind of mentality that I've seen damage people who are already damaged. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have a family member who drinks a lot of alcohol, whether or not you agree with drinking alcohol or not, if you have someone who, you know, maybe is borderline alcoholic or is dealing with the stress in their life in an unhealthy way, how on earth is making them feel like they can't come to you about that because you're so disappointed in them and you're so disgusted and repulsed, as this letter reader says, by them. Mm -hmm. How is that going to help them get to a healthier place? It's just adding more damage onto the damaged. And that makes my heart actually hurt. It makes me very frustrated. Now, I do want to also talk about two more things. First of all, her response to her in-laws, like her mother and father-in-law, and her response about her kids. So first of all, if you are in a situation where your siblings-in-law are just frustrating people to be around, in your opinion, and you're mad at your in-laws for not banning them from Christmas dinners or not doing things that will make everyone except for you unhappy, you kind of got to get over yourself. Like, what is this mother-in-law supposed to do? Is she supposed to tell her other sons, oh, well, you can't show up until you've got a respectable haircut and take out your piercings? Mm -hmm. Like, this is, like, they're her kids, for Pete's sake. You can't ask your mother-in-law to pretty much make it so that all of her other kids won't come for Christmas dinner anymore. Yeah. Because one of her kids has an issue with it. Honestly, what I would suggest in this kind of situations is have a lot of compassion for your mother-in-law and for your father-in-law. Like, she says she's mad that her former-in-law, who's a former deacon, just sits back and stays quiet. I see a lot of this mentality of their are Christians, they're supposed to act better. Well, he's a former deacon, so he should be doing it the way that I specifically think it. But maybe your father-in-law is actually showing his children more love and more Christ-like compassion than you are by just sitting back and allowing them to simply be welcomed in his home where they're at.
2: Yeah, that's a very good point.
1: Yeah, I just think that whenever you're in these kinds of situations, take a step back. Actually look at the situation as a whole. Put yourself into the parents' shoes. From the parents' perspective, maybe all of their other kids are kind of... Sure, they may be doing some stuff that they don't agree with. Maybe they don't like the clubbing scene. They don't like how much they're drinking. Or maybe they don't like the tattoos either. But also, maybe they're seeing it as having this one kid who's making all their other kids feel unwelcome. And that's really hurting them. And that's making them scared that they're going to lose contact with the kids who are kind of on the outskirts. Mm -hmm. Instead of getting mad at the parents for trying to love their children, maybe jump into the middle of that and figure out how you can love them too. Yeah. Now, if you are in a situation where you feel like you're being pressured to do something against your own convictions, like pressured to drink or something like that, again, you don't have to do that. But you can very easily say, oh, no thanks, none for me. And not go into a rant about how alcohol is terrible or not give side-eye glares to the people who are drinking at the table. Just let them be and they will let you be. It's whenever we kind of put this us-against-them kind of power struggle that's often when people get really defensive and that's when the fights break out and that's when we do have families kind of falling apart because you know half the family drinks and the other half doesn't and it's always this war about the about whether or not we should drink or
2: yeah and then everyone who isn't involved in that kind of feels like they need to pick a side very often And that's not a position that you want to put any of your family members in.
1: No, and it's just so easy just to kind of live and let live in these situations. And that, again, is often the best way to actually show them what the love of Christ is like. Like, remember that Christ ate with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners. And they liked being around him. And do you think they would like being around him if they felt like they were being judged at every turn? Yeah. I don't think so. Well, they're already dealing with that everywhere. And so let's talk about the kids now, okay? She's really scared because she has these two little boys who she's determined to bring up in a wholesome environment. And she's scared that being around these people who she calls repulsive again will make her sons not follow Christ because it'll make them seem like hypocrites. Mm -hmm. I simply don't get that logic. Again, I grew up, we're the only Christians in my family, Yeah, And I love my aunts and my uncles and my cousins desperately. Like, I really, really love my family. But, like, we we never agreed on the whole Christianity thing, and that was fine. Yeah. Didn't hurt my faith.
2: And for me, although Christianity wasn't the factor, there were a lot of people in our lives who had uh, very outspoken views that my parents very much disagreed on, uh, whether it be politically or environmentally, any of that kind of thing. And my parents just had conversations with me before any of those things came up. And so I could hear people talking about these views that my parents very strongly disagreed with. And that was fine because I gravitated to what, towards what my parents believed because we'd had conversations about it.
1: Exactly, and based on my research for why I didn't rebel, because I talked to a lot of kids who grew up in families like this. I talked to a lot of kids from very strong Christian families who are more on the legalistic side of things. Um, Because that is what is happening here. If you're mad about tattoos, piercings, and drinking, I think that's relatively legalistic. And what happened in a lot of those situations is these kids were always told all these things are so horrible and they were sheltered so much from the real world. And then they got out into the real world and you know what? It wasn't that scary. And the people were really nice. And they weren't these horrible demon-worshipping people who they'd been kind of trained to believe that everyone who wasn't exactly like them was. And you see a lot of kids just leaving the faith because that kind of thing or you see a lot of kids saying hey well the kids on my basketball team they party on the weekend but they're really good responsible kids so maybe partying doesn't turn everyone into an absolute train wreck in high school and then it just doesn't seem like that big a deal anymore because the fear was amped up so much Mm -hmm. but those conversations about why were never really had and they weren't able to be honest about it
2: you don't want the reasoning behind your kids decisions to be based on fear
1: yeah, or even just a lack of choice. Yeah. Like, if you never give your kids any opportunity to do anything wrong, then they also don't ever have any opportunity to choose what is right. Yeah. And I think that's kind of important. Like, I grew up with a lot of my friends used to party. A lot of my friends actually did drugs. A lot of my friends were having sex. Never impacted me or my sister wanting to party, smoke, or, you know, start having sex in yeah. high school. It really didn't because what my parents taught us is what other people do doesn't impact what decisions we make.
2: Yeah. And just to f- just speak to your kids with reason, reason with them. and if you can't rationalize a viewpoint or a decision, then maybe you should question that yourself and think, is there a reason for this?
1: Yeah, and I think the important thing too that happens when you have those conversations is you allow people is that you allow your children to recognize the good character traits in people. And to start to understand why they might act a certain way that you disagree with, mm-hmm. right? You can have a friend who drinks more than you would like or have a family member who swears and is just really crass, but they're a really, really loyal husband, mm-hmm. you know? Or they're the guy who everyone calls when they're stuck on the side of a road with a flat tire. You know, they're really reliable. And you can talk about people honestly And that's one of the best gifts you can give your children because that's what discernment actually is. It's not just about being able to label something black or white, like kind of good or bad kind of situation. It's about being able to understand that gray area where we all have a little, we all have our areas where we struggle and we all have our areas where we are really strong.
2: Yeah.
1: Christian or not. We all do. And being able to give your kids the gift of being able to see the truth about stuff is so important for when they grow up and they're out on their own. That's when they realize that that boy they're dating, maybe he's not as respectful as I think he is. That's when they're able to say, hey, maybe this girl in my class, maybe she's not, you know, the best person to have as a roommate next year. Mm -hmm. It's those little things that you give your kids the gift of discernment with when you're able to talk not only about what people do bad, but also see them as an actual whole person with a more complicated story than just they aren't like us, we need to be scared of them.
2: Yeah, because everyone has flaws and everyone has virtues. And sometimes the flaws are on the outside, very visible, and the virtues are on the inside. And sometimes it's the other way around. Mm-hmm. So we need to look deeper into who people are.
1: Yeah, because remember, even if you are frustrated about how your family members are living their life and it's different than how you would like to, they are still image bearers of God. You know, Mm -hmm. they are still loved by him, and they are still precious in his sight, and I think that we lose track of that with family very easily because these are the people who are just kind of always going to be around, and it's easy to take them for granted, and I just really hope that this person who wrote this letter was able to figure out how to have a good relationship with her in-laws, was able to have a good holiday, and I really, really desperately hope that the antagonism that she has towards them just doesn't really show through because I just have a hard time believing that that would bring anyone to a healthier place. Mm-hmm. So what I hope you get from this is be encouraged. If you have kids and you're stressed about them being around family members that are living a lifestyle that you don't agree with, don't worry. There are things you can do to help your kids, you know, make good choices. But also be open to understanding that the person is probably a lot more complicated than simply just the bad behaviors that you're seeing and try to be truly honest with your kids and with yourself about this person's flaws, but also about their strengths. Now, just on an absolute practical level, you know, yes, we need to be really kind and we need to accept our family members who are living lifestyles that are different from what we would prefer because that's their choice. But at the same time, you also do have a choice not to give your entire holiday to that family member. Mm -hmm. Like my mom was talking about in the previous, in the previous segment, you know, you do have limited Christmases with your kids at home and they will grow up and they'll leave and it's all something that I'm just still grappling with with a 6 week old but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is if if all your family is out of town, you need to drive 6 hours to get there, maybe this is a family that you do Easter with or you do Thanksgiving with and you just say, "You know, Christmas we're going to do just our immediate family." And that's totally fine. Or it's also perfectly fine to say, "Hey, we will have Christmas Eve dinner with you, but you know, we're going to keep Christmas morning to ourselves instead of doing a full three-day event with your family. You can draw, like, you can you can limit the amount of time that is given if that's what you need to do. But when you are with your family, just try to be really there. Yeah. And really get to know them and really talk and find things that are similar between you. If you really struggle with this, you can always try some of the conversation starters that we talked about a couple weeks ago. For Thanksgiving, I think we're going to have them in the podcast links below.
2: And if you are in a situation like this where you really feel like you are on the outside as a Christian, I encourage you to really work on trying to form one-on-one relationships with different members of your family. Because that will really help bring you in.
1: Yeah, and often it's easier to get to know people one-on-one than in a big Mm. group anyway.
2: Yeah, and like we're talking about, it's very important to get to know the full person.
1: Yeah, and to be able to see the full person so that you're able to look past maybe the more rough exterior.
2: Mm -hmm. And the more common ground you develop, the more you have to talk about aside from partying.
1: Exactly. So I hope you're encouraged that you don't need to worry that your kids are going to have a bad influence as long as you're open and honest with them about everything. And you listen to their opinions as well, because they might have some insight into their aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents that maybe you don't even have. Yeah. And kids often see stuff, you know, and they can, and they, they often see the good in people really easily. So I hope this Christmas is great for all of you. And remember, if you do have a difficult family, Jesus loves them, even if you don't like them. <laughs> <laughs>